man came to her and said, I have a lot of problems with anger. What do I do about my anger? And she said, no matter what's happening, good or bad, I want you to say whenever anything happens, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever, no matter what it is. So he did that for a year and came back to see her and said, listen, I did this for a year and no one changed. Everyone still makes me as angry as they did before. And she looked at him and said, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. And he got it right. It was about changing him. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. From Studio A, deep in the heart of Texas, that was the voice of Mr. Buddy C that you heard at the beginning of this here episode number 239, and you are going to hear much more from Buddy C in just a moment, but first things first, this episode is being brought to you by David and Krista and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Anna and Marcos and Audrey and Jason and Joshua and Mary Lynn and Anon Y Mouse Anonymous. What do you ask did David and Krista and Todd and Terry and Kurt and Anna and Marcos and Audrey and Jason and Joshua and Mary Lynn and Anonymous do will let me fill you in. They went to our website, soberspeak.com, clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a, a contribution. So thank you so much to every single one of you. I appreciate you helping me keep the virtual lights turned on. And this is the time of month to where we get a lot of our our uh, monthly contributors uh, that it comes through, and uh, I'm uh, appreciative to all of you. And as I have said many times on the podcast in the past, if you have the choice between donating to my little podcast here and contributing to your local 12-step groups and community by all means, contribute to them first, okay? That's where the real work is being done, and I'm not saying what I do isn't real work. Uh, you know, uh, it's a labor of love, but uh, uh, I would much rather you be supporting those folks than myself. But I am appreciative to all of you uh, who do uh, reach out and support me. 
Very much so. I, John M., just another bozo on the bus, will indeed be the chairperson for this meeting between meetings, and I am truly honored and privileged to serve all of you listening in. So take a seat, if you will, around this virtual table, and let's get started. It's been a kind of interesting week for me, and the most interesting part is my worrisome state. My daughter came down with the mono, mono, uh, this week. Uh, I have not been around. I don't think I had it when I was younger, but, uh, it was really quite scary. I had no idea mono would take you down quite that hard. And just to watch my little, uh, baby girl, well, she's not a baby girl anymore, but you get the idea, go through that has been, uh, most worrisome, but, uh, she seems to be coming out on the other side and, uh, the doctors say she's still going to be fatigued uh, for probably at least a month more, maybe a little longer. But uh, anyway, uh, my baby girl had me worried this week. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so we go on here. Um, I picked a something out of the super secret Facebook group. By the way, if you're not in the super secret Facebook group, you should be go to the Facebook application and look up, uh, sober speak secret group and ask for admission into the group. And we will get you on in there. But in there, we have, well, we have so many people that write so many good things, very, very good content. And uh, one of the guys that writes in there on a consistent basis, I've, I've talked about him before, but there, there's like five or six of these people uh, that write just pretty much every day. They put something in there, it's some sort of quote, and then a follow-up with an explanation. And Steve R., wrote in the in the Facebook group this group this week he wrote love and tolerance of others is our code and we have ceased fighting anything or anyone even alcohol for by this time sanity will have returned and that's from page 84 of the big book and let me go ahead and read that again just in case somebody needs to hear this today love and tolerance of others is our code. Oh, that can be tough sometimes, can't it? And we have ceased fighting anything or anyone, even alcohol, for by this time, sanity will have returned. Page 84 in the big book. And by the way, if you're not familiar with the book and uh, the ceasing of fighting anything and anyone that is in the 10th step of Alcoholics Anonymous. But uh, so if you're not there yet, uh, just work those previous nine steps and see what happens in your life. And then Steve always follows it up with a little comment. And he wrote it here, while we acknowledge there may be people people who do us harm and their actions justify anger and revenge. We also acknowledge that holding anger and allowing it to grow to resentment, justified or not, is perilous to our emotional sobriety and possibly our actual sobriety as excess resentment may indeed serve as justification to take a drink to ease and comfort us. In our new sane thinking, we know that we must love and tolerate others no matter what. We mustn't fight. And then he always ends with help one, save two, happy Wednesday. Thanks for putting that in there, Steve. 
All right, now on to our featured guest of the week. His name is Mr. Buddy C. Many of you may be familiar with Buddy C from either other uh, podcasts or other work he does in the uh, um, the the recovery community. Um, he's actually been on this podcast a couple of times before. And anyway, Buddy C, this one is called Powerless But Not Helpless. And Buddy C is from Northeast Alabama. Uh, his website, if you want to go track him down, is buddyc.org. That's B-U-D-D-Y-C dot org. And Buddy has been sober since November of 2008. We talk about his new book named, which is the title of this episode, Powerless But Not Helpless. One thing that we talked about that just uh, really uh, took me aback is Buddy's uh, silent treat that he attended and then the tragic situation uh, that Buddy had to navigate coming out of that retreat. And I will let Buddy describe that scenario and how it played out. But sit back. I know you're going to learn a lot from Mr. Buddy C. And we will have plenty of listener feedback on the end of this uh, episode. Enjoy. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here one more time with the one and only... Mr. Buddy C. So, Buddy C, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, give your sobriety date if you wish, and tell people where you live. Thanks, John. Buddy C, definitely alcoholic. Uh, live in Central Alabama, sobriety date 111008. 111008. Uh, That's a little while, buddy. Yeah, you know, some water's gone under the bridge since we last talked, John. It's been a while. <laughs> yes, it has. So those are we're gonna we're gonna catch up, and I've been looking forward to this. Uh, you know, buddy. Uh, for those who haven't caught Buddy C's previous episodes, first of all, if you look up Buddy C's name, I'm sure on the internet, uh, Buddy C in recovery or Buddy C really in anything. You will find a lot of information for Buddy C. In fact, you have a, a website. Am I right about that, Buddy? Uh, BuddyC.org. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's the easy way. Uh, Buddy is very, he's heavily involved in the recovery community and has been for quite some time. Uh, and if you go to my website or you can just go to Buddy's website, but on our website under Sober Resources, you'll see Transitions Daily. Uh, and then, but if they want to go directly to that website, buddy, how do they get there? Just buddy, uh, it's transitionsdaily.org okay. is the website direct for transitions. And, and transitions daily is something that it's a daily email that I get on a consistent basis or every day. And why don't you explain people what that daily email involves and what transitions daily is all about? Sure. Thanks, John. Transitions daily began as an email of all of the daily readers that we use in AA, for the most part, you've got daily reflections, as Bill sees it, 24 hours, a uh, big book quote of the day, a thought for the day, all kinds of different resources that Clint Y put together, I believe in 2000, 2001 was when he started. Um, and he was in my home group in Cartersville, Georgia, and I did not even know that he did this. And he did this every day. 
And he was one of these cranky old AA guys, you know, that sometimes we don't like, you know, one of these Mm -hmm. by the book, by the rule kind of guys. And I wasn't particularly friends with him, but uh, he was in my home group and he got sick and was in the hospital when I I was in and out of the program for six years. If anyone listens to my story, they'll hear how I had had very difficult time with surrender. I I was a successful real estate guy. I came in with all the things and I could not figure out how to get sober. And it took six years before I really learned to surrender. Uh, that it had, that had nothing to do with my intellect or my understanding. It had everything to do with my letting go and surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it took six years of that. So I was, I've been in the program since uh, 2001, but only sober since 08. So I went and visited him in the hospital. I just felt like I needed to go see him. He was in the hospital for heart problems. And so I went to the hospital and visited him. Uh, I ride a motorcycle a lot, uh, did even more at that time. Uh, So I rode the 30 minutes on a cloudy, overcast 40 degree day. Not a fun day to ride, but I rode anyway. I went and visited. Come to find out he was doing this transitions daily, pushing the button every night to send this out at that time to seven, 8,000 people even then. Mm-hmm. He asked me if I would take that over for him when he passed. So he lived for several more years. But during that time, I started working with transitions. Uh, now we just topped 17,000 daily emails wow. uh, and we've expanded. Now we have a private Facebook group where we can discuss. Uh, we're an actual online AA group now. And we also have a daily podcast with people all over the world that read. You read a few days for us, actually, John, for November. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that goes out every day as an email with no commentary, just the readings themselves. So all we have all of that going on. And we have a lot more people helping now with transitions than we had in the past. So it it really evolved. Right. And that's just the tip of the iceberg where you are involved in the recovery arena. And I, you know, I personally am appreciative uh, for uh, both your friendship uh, and we've had a lot of talks offline throughout the years and uh, you're just uh, a gem of a guy is what it comes down to. And I, I, I appreciate your friendship and your leadership within the recovery community so much. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so let's talk a little. So here's what I want to do today, right? First of all, I want to get people caught up on just a little background on you, buddy. You know, I don't want to go into your whole story, kind of where you are in your life. And then I know you've written a new book also called Powerless But Not Helpless. And I want to talk about that. But before we go, just real quick, a couple of questions I have. First of all, why do you put the C after your name? when you introduce yourself, were there like three buddies in your original group? I know you weren't expecting this question, but what's the deal with that? I I don't do that when I'm in a meeting, but when I started writing, I, I really had to decide how I was going to write. If I was going to write as um, uh, anonymously, or if I was going to use a a pen name or exactly how I was going to do that. At first I was going to use a full pen name to write with. Uh, and then the more that I studied and looked, I decided to use my name and my last initial for for writing. So uh, I, I use that whenever I'm talking about the book. 
But when I'm a, when I'm in a meeting, I'm just buddy. Gotcha. Because yeah, I, I know a friend of mine who's actually been on the podcast before. Uh, his name is Clay D. And Clay, well, he got sober in this group. I, I, I think there was a couple of different Clays or whatever the case may be. And, you know, they, they had to differentiate themselves. But I just couldn't imagine there being too many buddies. So no, there hasn't to- been. No. <laughs> And then the other question I have for you, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing your background there and I see a beautiful, a couple of beautiful paintings. I think they're paintings in the background. One is very colorful and one is more like a man or a person walking through a forest. Can you tell me what the significance of those is? Uh, the top one, my daughter painted when she was a little girl, she did several paintings for me. So she's a, in the master's program at UGA now. But that was when she was maybe seven or eight years old. And the other painting, actually, my ex-wife did. So Really? Uh, yes. Yes. So, and, uh, and, and what is the, what, what is it? Can you describe it to people? Uh, yes. Well, the top one is just a sunset uh, mm-hmm. over the ocean. Uh, and the, uh, the one that my ex-wife did is actually uh, a person with an umbrella walking through the forest and the forest kind of enclosing around them as they're walking to, as the picture goes toward the, the person. So that's really, uh, both are, uh, uh, they remind me of good times. Gotcha. They're very pleasant. Well, okay. I want to, uh, dive into something here, a couple of different pieces, right? We, like I said, talk offline here on a consistent basis. Uh, I know there's been a couple of, uh, uh, I don't know if you call them life to well, life changing events that have happened to you over the past a couple of years here, right? The first one I want to talk about is, um, there is somebody who's been on the podcast with me before, and she's been in your group. Her name is Emily, mm-hmm. Emily, you. Yes. Yes. And she reached out to me via text one day, and she said, did you hear about Buddy's son? And I was like, no, I did not. And she forwarded me a, uh, I think a screenshot or something from some Facebook group where you had talked about your son. And why don't you go ahead and talk about that? Because uh, let me put it this way. When I heard I was, uh, it just knocked me to the floor. Uh, I put myself in that type of situation with me and my son. And I, I just, uh, I, I just felt, uh, I, I don't know what you just, for, just for you and for your family. I just felt a lot of, uh, uh, I, I'm struggling with the word. Uh, I, I just felt for you, right? Immediately started praying for you. And so you. why don't you tell people uh, what I'm talking about here? Got a call, I think it was July 3rd, or not actually July 6th or 7th, that uh, my son, whom was 25, um, good health, had collapsed with a temperature of 109 degrees. And 109. 109. I don't even think I've ever heard of that. When the, when the EMS got to him, they couldn't even register his temperature. It was too high for their equipment. Wow. And when they did get a reading, it was 109. Took him to the hospital and he survived that night. I live an hour from the hospital 
that he was going to. So I got in the car and I drove to the hospital, stayed there for the evening, got a call the next morning at 5 a.m. to rush back to the hospital that he was dying. And if I wanted to see him, I needed to be there. So I rushed back to the hospital that morning. He survived the morning. They got a bed at a trauma center at Emory in Atlanta. There was only a 15-minute helicopter ride. He lived in northwest Georgia. And they transferred him to Emory then. Um, and everything was moving so fast, I really didn't have enough time to really think that much about it at first. It was just, you know, going where things, what was, I was just following what was happening, you know, because we had a lot of decisions to make. Uh, me and his mother divorced when I got sober. So we divorced 08 or 08, 09, right in there, right after I got sober. It was in 09 when we actually divorced. Um, so, uh, we, we were on good terms. We could talk and we have a daughter between us that, and everyone gets along and she's remarried now, <laughs> married a very nice guy. Actually, I told her she married the opposite of me. She married a really nice person that had all the good positive points that I didn't have when, <laughs> when she was married to me. So I'm real happy for her. Um, uh, but he had no type of, um, uh, uh, final wishes as far as life support or no directive of any kind healthcare directive. So it was up to me and his mother, whether we pulled life support or not. So that was, that was, I would recommend everyone getting a directive of some type so that they don't leave their loved ones in that situation. Who would think a 25 year old that you would need that? Right. You would never, never think that. So they still didn't know what happened. Didn't know. So fortunately I had been on a meditation retreat the weekend before I, that was my second retreat. I started uh, meditating with the Zen Buddhist center in Atlanta and we were up in the mountains in Hayesville at a retreat that weekend before. So I just came off a four day silent retreat, uh, very intense, you know, eight to 10 out, eight, nine hours of meditation every day, silent the whole time, just really, really good. But I got home from that retreat on a Sunday and this happened on Wednesday and I was in the best place spiritually I could have been to, to deal with this. So when, uh, that was on a Wednesday, it happened on Thursday. I came home and did not go to Atlanta Thursday afternoon after they sent him to Atlanta did take a few phone calls as decisions that were being made as to care. Uh, I decided I had to get some acceptance with this. So I sat with it. Um, and I used two phrases with my acceptance and interesting enough, neither phrase I learned in AA, even though AA is all about acceptance, but there are two phrases I found that really worked for me. One was a Buddhist phrase. Uh, there was a Buddhist teacher named Sono, uh, she was um, a nun back many years ago, and a man came to her and said, I have a lot of problems with anger. What do I do about my anger? And she said, no matter what's happening, good or bad, I want you to say, whenever anything happens, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. No matter what it is, don't judge the situation. Just be thankful for anything that's happening. 
So he did that for a year and came back to see her and said, listen, I did this for a year and no one changed. Everyone still makes me as angry as they did before. And she looked at him and said, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. Mm. And he got it right. It was about changing him. Okay. So I started thanking God for this situation. Just thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. While all of this is just raging. The second phrase, which is even more difficult than that, is, and I learned this from my Zen friends too, was that I would not change whatever the, the situation is, even if I could. So in my situation with Max, the phrase was, I would not change Max's medical condition, even if I could. And I had to approach both of those, John, from the same way that we approach 552 in the big book, you know, where sometimes when we pray good things for people that we resent, we don't mean it. And it's just empty words, but we do it anyway. Mm. I did it anyway. I sat there and meditated for two hours straight, just, and it was easy for easier for me because I just came off this long retreat. So I was prepared to do this. And so I just sat with it. Thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. I would not change Max's medical condition, even if I could. And I started getting peace about it. I started getting peace. It took, a, took two hours to get any, any real peace about it, but it slowly came. Every time I said that, even when it was the furthest thing from what I really wanted, it started, uh, started collapsing that fear started going away that resistance started leaving and with with every time i said it i felt just a little bit more peace every time and i don't understand it john i don't understand how it works i i don't know why when i stop fighting there's peace there waiting for me but that's exactly what it was so I got to a little level of peace that first time. Now, before that, when I was at the hospital, the, the evening before and the morning of, uh, I started praying for family. I started praying for uh, my ex-wife and her family. Uh, I sent folks to go get coffee and donuts and things. For, I started serving. I started doing everything I could for the people there that were hurting. So I took my energy. That's the very first thing I did was I put my energy toward helping those around me that were hurting. Then when I had some time to myself, I sat with it and worked on accepting the situation as it was. You, you know, acceptance does not mean approval. It does not mean that's the way I desire it to be either. It, it's just me accepting it as it is right now in this moment. Wow. Okay, hold on just a second. I'm going to take a little break here. We will be, oh no, I lost it. We will be continuing our conversation with Buddy C in just a moment. Just a reminder, you are listening to Sober Speak. You can find us on the World Wide Web at www.soberspeak.com. You can also find the donate button on our website, which you can use if and only if the spirit moves you. Please keep in mind, this is a podcast funded by you, the listener. All right, buddy. So, uh, so they never really found out what caused this condition. 
they did not conclusively find out what caused it. But we have an idea. Um, he was on um, uh, medicine for attention deficit disorder that he'd been on for years. Uh, he was a daily drinker. He did not drink water, drank a lot of energy drinks. And what they believe is that he dehydrated the combination of dehydration with the constant beer buzz level of alcohol in his system with the ADHD medicine caused him to dehydrate to the point that his temperature went high. And it couldn't reverse. No, whatever uh, reason. The, the damage was there. The damage was there. Uh, he, he, and they worked for the next four weeks trying to get his organs to work and then something would work and then it stop. He was on a ventilator the entire time on dialysis. Uh, they restricted the blood flow to his outer extremities. So his fingers and toes turned black. They thought they'd have to amputate them if he lived possibly. I mean, it was one thing after another. We had decided that if there were any, um, if there were brain damage that we would, pull life support. Mm -hmm. Well, they concluded there was brain damage, but yet uh, his mother just could not bring herself to pull life support. So that was the struggle over the next few weeks. I went to the hospital twice that I know of with the intent of pulling life support on my son, and it didn't happen. I went prepared to do that. And it was a no when we got there that she would not do it. Wow. And uh, it was a struggle. The whole that was the real struggle for the next month. It was quite honestly a relief when he when he did pass, because I knew that he would not want to live in that uh, in that condition. And his body was starting to improve, not quite to the point to where uh, he was not uh, on life support, but it was getting better. And before long, it may be to the point that he would just be a vegetable, more or less. So I, I told his mother that I was going to take whatever action I needed to uh, to try to get his life support removed the next week. And fortunately, uh, I say fortunately, he had an aneurysm. You know, I mean, that just sounds so crazy to say, but we didn't have to make that decision. It was made for us, gotcha. which I'm grateful that we didn't have to do that. Okay. But it was a it was a struggle for that. That was the the struggle that month. I saw him suffering. He had only a couple of lucid moments during that time um, that I, I really don't, I can't really even talk about yet. But um, I had one, they called me and said, uh, Max tracked me around the room. One of the nurses did. I said, really? Because he wasn't tracking. He wasn't doing. So that was in the afternoon. That evening, I decided to go down and visit. So I got down at midnight and went in. They would let us in 24 hours a day for, for the intensive care where he was. And I talked to the nurse and I talked to the nurse and said that I was coming down. And I looked, I said, Max, this is your dad. Can you understand me? If you can, I want you to blink for me. He looked at me and blinked. That's the first time he had responded in, uh, two weeks since he had gotten sick. So, uh, 
And uh, I, I just started crying, and I, I said, uh, let me explain what's happened. And I explained the whole situation, because I don't know if anyone had explained anything to him at all as to what had happened. And I said, uh, we, we have a short window that we can pull your life support. If you want to live like this, I need to know. Or if you don't, I need to know that as well. Um, and I asked him, I said, if, if you want, if you would like for me to work to pull life support, I, I need you to blink twice for me. And he looked at me and he looked off like he was thinking and he looked back and blinked twice. And, uh, I'm crying this whole time. I'm just distraught, you know? And I, uh, and I leave that night and, uh, I I know I knew that was the right decision. You know, I knew it was the right decision. Um, and he started getting better the next few days, actually. Uh, his body started improving, and then he relapsed back and started doing worse. And I went in to visit him one day, and now he had had an infection in an eye, and they said that if he lived, they'd have to take out his left eye even. I mean, it was he was just, his body all over was just, just giving up. And um, I, we had no more lucid moments after that. There was a couple of times the next day, but after the, those two or three days, there was no more of that. And I went in and uh, I had a, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I knew it was happening. I, I don't know how I, but I had like a, uh, a final prayer with Max. I knew he was a Christian. I knew he, uh, he had a, a Christian God belief. And I almost did a, like a last rites kind of prayer with him. Um, and later that day was when he had the aneurysm. And I, thinking back, I, I don't really know what prompted me to do that with him that day. Uh, there, there was nothing really happening that day any different, but I, I guess I just knew it was the right thing to do. Uh, and then on the drive home, I got the call about the aneurysm and that, uh, uh, and we had to make the decision to try to save him or not with the emergency surgery. And his mother and I both agreed not to do that. So he, he died instantaneously. So it was, uh, very quick after that, but that whole process took a month, took a month. You know, I went in one time to visit and they were giving him Tylenol for pain. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know, and I talked to the head nurse. I said, listen, I want you to look at him. I said, we don't know for sure whether he's in pain or not. I want him to be comfortable and Tylenol is not something that's going to make him comfortable. Okay. I said, look at, you know, and I looked, I said, we're, we're doing everything we can for him. I expect you guys to keep him comfortable too. And, uh, they started doing a better job of what I thought was pain management because he was just flinching all the time, you know, and he was just these, you couldn't tell whether he was totally conscious or not conscious at all. I mean, there was no way to know. And, uh, so I, I, I handled that. That was the only time I had any kind of negativity toward the, the care there. Other than that, I, I really like, you know, I think thought they did everything they could for him. But I think you're in the, when you're in those sense those situations, you can get insensitive sometimes, but, uh, 
that's why I was there. So I helped and they upped his medications to make sure he stayed comfortable. Um, and I, I'm still having to come to acceptance with that. You know, this is life on life's terms, John. Life happens. Um, uh, and I'm fortunate enough and grateful that we have tools that we can use in these situations that we can have some form of peace about this that we didn't have before. You know, because if I'm going through these things and this is life, what I learned in recovery can help me in, in every part of life. It's my life that's unmanageable. It's not my alcohol. And this is a portion of my life that's very unmanageable. A child dying, I don't know of much that's much more unmanageable than that. Yeah. And my guess is that every parent in the world right now that has uh, uh, every parent uh, is probably putting themselves in that position and saying, how would I handle this? And, you know, I, I, I don't know. And, and you found out, uh, and, and so talk to me a little bit about, you said you're still going through the acceptance. I think you said yesterday was his birthday, right? It was. And he had a nine month old son at the time too. So there was a son involved, uh, which actually he, his son was over here today. So, um, He's walking now. He was a year in November. So, uh, so he's doing well and a uh, good relationship uh, with the child's mother and all. So everything's good there. Um, but, you know, gr- grief comes in waves and you just never know when those things, like I had a video of Max on my phone that I came across one day. And I just out of the blue, I was cleaning my phone up and there it was. I, I wasn't looking for it. And then, then I had to deal, you know, I had to deal with that or, or you get some reminder that you don't realize is going to be a real reminder. Um, and you just have to deal with those things. And for me, learning not to resist those feelings is a big part. There's a book that was very helpful with that. And it's uh, letting go the pathway to surrender David Hawkins. I I would suggest uh, anyone wanting to really learn how to work the first three steps, read that book. I mean, it's got some things that are kind of kooky, but, you know, I I like about 90% of it, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ignore the kooky stuff unless you're kooky, right? Yeah, that's it. Exactly. You know, so, but, you know, most of it's very, very good. And, And what I learned from that book was that my problem with my feelings is my resistance to the feelings. And when I started learning that, the first time I was angry after that, I used to resist being angry. No, I'm not supposed to be angry. I'm supposed, you know, this and this. So I'd resist being angry. So I just let myself be angry. And when I let myself be angry, it didn't last but a few seconds. All the power in that anger was in the resistance to the anger. So the same thing with the grief. I didn't resist the grief and I'd sit and have a cry or sit and go through the feelings and not resist them, just let them happen. And they just come through and move on. Instead of when I resist those feelings or try not to feel those feelings, they just grow and grow and build and build instead. So I just let those come on through, you know. And, of course, with anger, it's not uh, the the situation I'm talking about. Uh, I get angry every year at my accountant. 
because I thought he was trying to screw me every year on, <laughs> and and it was January, and I don't file my taxes till August, right? So it's January, and I was thinking about my accountant, and I got angry sitting there thinking about the fight <laughs> I was going to have with him in August, right? So finally, I said, "Oh, okay, I'm angry. Let me try this David Hawkins thing." And I won't say my accountant's name, but I said, "I will. I am angry at my accountant. I think he's going to try to screw me when I do my taxes." And by the time I did that, it was gone. I'm like, wait a minute. It's supposed to last. I wanted to enjoy it a little. It's not supposed to go that quick. And I realized what the book was talking about. It was these feelings. Uh, what we resist persists. And that's part of let it, learning to let go is stop the resistance to what is. And there's so many of those little tools I've learned from recovery because I never would have looked for those things if it were not for recovery. And I wrote, I actually wrote uh, a journal in my experience with uh, accepting my son's death and dealing with that, John. I've got it with my editor right now. So I will oh, be, really? I think I'll be putting something out on that. Uh, she says I should, but I've still got to flesh out some more of that and do some more work on it. But yeah, I thought it was important to, Maybe it would help some other folks in recovery that are dealing with children's deaths because those same tools we learn in recovery, it's just taking those to another level. What are you going to call it? Do you know yet? I don't know yet. Uh, I really don't have a name, um, but uh, we'll we'll see what comes of it. That was, uh, I finished the journal. I journaled my way through and then I, then I wrote the different le- life lessons I learned from the death um, and how I accepted it and how I'm still accepting it because it's still acceptance and it will be acceptance the rest of my life mm. because he's still a part of my life. So I still have to accept him not being here uh, and all the ramifications of that. And uh, hopefully years in the future that I'm involved with his son, how we associate and he's just like Max, just a little version of him. So I, I'm going to be reminded. It's not that I'm not going to, ever be reminded of him, I'm going to all the time. So it's just learning to deal with that and uh, learning learning that ex- accepting what is, because what I found was I very, before recovery, I never accepted what was. I was always believing it to be different, either God to change it or me trying to change it myself, but not accepting things the way they are. Never accepting things as they are. Right. Let's speaking of accepting things as they are, let's go ahead and shift gears here a little bit to your book because it really dovetails into what we were just talking about and the experiences that you have had. And um, I did you write this before your son's death? Okay. Yes. What happened, John? Uh, I've been doing a podcast for a few years, The Tao of Our Understanding. Yeah, so where people want to find that, where would they find that? They can just go to buddyc.org and uh, the Tao Recovery Podcast is up in the menu. One more thing at Buddy C they might like. They can they can see a few chap- verses of the book there, and they can also sign up for a daily Tao email. It's T-A-O Tao. 
Right. Uh, so let's back up there for those who don't know what DAO is, uh, and you know, and why it's spelled the way it is, yeah. and all that. Sort of, and 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 just as I'm, we don't need to go into this completely, but like on the first podcast I ever did with you, I, I was like, "This is so strange." You and your Southern Georgia accent, and we're talking about the Dow of our understanding. And yep. it was just, it was, it didn't quite add up. And I'm sure you've heard that over the years. But yeah, so what is Dow? It's got probably five syllables when I say it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Dow is the path. The Dow Te Ching uh, is a Chinese book that was written 2,500 years ago. That the only book in the world that has been published more it has been published more copies than the Tao Te Ching is the Bible. So, so it's kind of like the Bible of the Easter of the it uh, is, of the exactly. Eastern world, right? Exactly. So, and the Tao is the path. The Tao Te Ching would be the path of virtue. Is that what it stands for? Path yes. of virtue, basically. Okay, that's basically th- this is the book. Ching is book. So Tao is path, and Day is virtue. So it would be the book of the path of virtue would basically be it. So if you had the path to the store, it would be the Tao to the store. So that kind of thing. So it's just the path of virtue is all it is. And some people call the Tao God, some higher power. It's a great, um, it's a great uh, resource for someone that's having difficulty with the Christian Judeo God belief. Uh, This can very much work instead of, of that type of a God belief, if that's a problem for you. Okay. So one of the subtitles of the book is when AA's explanation of a higher power is not enough. So explain to me what you mean by that. I've seen a lot of people come in, for example, the second step that says um, that uh, came to believe that a power greater than ourself could restore us to sanity. Um, could it be that the power that restores us to sanity could just be surrender to alcohol and have nothing to do with a God that comes in and does something for you? See, that that's the kind of, that the whole power is in the surrender, not in the belief. So with the Tao, it's about that we have nature that gives us all the examples of how to behave and how to act and what to do. All we have to do is pay attention to those examples and that we already have the kingdom within us, if you want to borrow from a Christian phrase. So we already have everything we need. I think we just get in our way. That's been my experience. And when I step out of the way, I have what I need, just like. With my son, I don't think God came down and did something for me. I think I was already—I already had that God drop, and when I stopped resisting and accepted what was, it was there for me. So, all of that factors into the the Tao and how how with the Tao Te Ching, especially. And what I did was after years of studying, I said, "Hmm, I wonder if I could go through all eighty-one verses of the Tao Te Ching." And just kind of write how they relate to my experience with recovery, what I think each verse means for me in relation to recovery. So I started writing and I started the first verse. I said, this is pretty good. This, this isn't bad. So I kept writing and over 11 days, I wrote all 81 verses. Wow. And that's all I did for those 
days was I just wrote from, from the time I could start. And if I got stuck, I'd go meditate a little bit and take a break. And, um, and then I had a lady that was part of the group that was, that was, a uh, uh, a literature major. So she did my editing and just one thing led to another. And here we are. How about that? And so once again, the title of it is powerless, but not helpless. So there must've been some point where you kind of came, you thought that's going to be the title. When did that happen? I was listening to the boiled owl podcast. Boiled owl. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Don M, uh, good friend of mine. Actually, he did the art for the book. Yeah, I've I've listened to them before, like, but they're not doing that anymore. There, no, they're right? doing the Grapevine podcast, right? Now. So they they switch from doing the Boiled Owl to they do basically a podcast for the, for the AA. Grapevine. Yes, this is the AA Grapevine podcast. That's so, great. Yeah, and so I was listening. You know, I was in need of a title, and this is how everything works, John. I just let go, and I said, "Hmm, I need a title," and I've learned just to be aware. And then if you want to use a Tao phrase with this, the man of Tao stands on what is already moving. So you look around. Well, well hold, hold on. Let's, let's, uh, let's back up on that. A Tao okay. phrase says the, the man of Tao stands on what is already moving. Right. He doesn't try to move anything. He looks around and he steps where there's already movement. Gotcha. It's like the analogy I've heard before that uh, you can see an ant on a log going down the river, and that ant may think he's driving the log, but in actuality, he's just on that log moving around. Exactly. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that would work. So I've learned just to be aware and open. And I was just listening to uh, Don's podcast and his guest, the very next one I listened to, the guest said, you know, I found out I am powerless, but I'm not helpless. I'm like, there's my title. That's it. That's it. So I did not come up with that. Then I called, uh, I emailed Don and asked him if his uh, guest would mind me using uh, that. He said, oh, no, she wouldn't mind at all. I said, okay. <laughs> so that's that's what I used. To, and so that's how I got it. So no, I didn't come up with that myself. I just, okay. So the other piece here is the, the book says it's a recovery interpretation of the Tao Te Ching. So explain to me what you mean by that. I looked at each of those verses through the lens of my experience with recovery. So I looked at that verse. I'm I'm not saying in any of these verses, this is what you should think that this means. I'm saying this is what this means to me. This is how I see it. Just like uh, anytime in recovery, we share our experience, strength, and hope. We don't share how we think it should be done or our inexperienced weakness and despair. We share how it's working for us. Uh, people can take that and use it. Great. You know, but we, we're not instructing them or giving them some higher education on how this, the formula, you know, this is just how it worked for us. Right. Same thing with the Tao and with this book. And so you said, you say in the beginning of the book that it, it's, is dedicated to Marla, Kate, Tina, Layla, Craig, Paul, Rob, Zach, Kurt, and then the other occasional visitors, visitors of the Dow study group. So why don't you talk about them a little bit and why, why, why you wanted to put that in the beginning of the book and what it means? 
our weekly podcast that we do. Actually, they've corrected me. We have a weekly meeting that we happen to make a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So I have to lighten up sometimes with that. But I learned so much from them because if I just sat and read by myself, I would. That's not how it works for me, John. I don't just sit and read and and have some uh, enlightened understanding. But when I share with others in recovery, something comes out of that conversation. And so the things I've learned and gleaned from this, much like a meeting, much like when we go to a meeting and we hear what we need, same type thing, same type thing. So we do that. And then I learn things that I never knew. That makes sense. Okay, so let's go ahead to kind of put a bow on this. I want to let let's talk about okay, okay, like Buddy said, there's 81 verses in here. So basically, 81 chapters of the book, uh, and they're all, all the the chapters are very short. But one of them is verse 53. It says, "My one fear." Mm-hmm. Why don't you just Talk about that, what that means to you, where it came from, uh, what you were thinking when you were writing it, and just just chat about that one a little bit. My one fear. Sure. Let me read it first. Uh, My one fear, verse 53. If I had a fear, it would be straying from this way. This way is broad and easy, but I prefer to take side roads and shortcuts. I prefer to talk about spiritual axioms while I conceal anger and resentment. I like to sound spiritual in meetings and pretend I do not, uh, and pretend I do not feel I am better than others. (laughs) (laughs) My pride and ego, right? Mm -hmm. This behavior is far from the way and always leads me toward a drink. And I want to point out that the, when buddy talks about the way, the way is capitalized. Yes. Uh, and that's for a reason, because for me, that's another description of a higher power. Right. Uh, sometimes the way is capitalized. Sometimes love is capitalized. Some of these I took from a position of love instead, too. So, um, and if people want to see several of these verses, they can either go to Amazon and look the book up and read some of those, mm-hmm. and, or they can go to buddyc.org and there's several verses they can read there if they want to see if this resonates with them or with any of their sponsors. Oh, also too, John, if someone cannot afford a copy of the book, they can go to buddyc.org, they can email me and I'll send them a PDF of the book at no charge. This was a gift to me. I have to make that available. I understand. I understand. It's, yeah, I I really like the way, I mean, you could, if there are 365 of them, you can make it 360, you know, a daily meditation, basically, right? You that's can still what make it a daily meditation. Well, I'm, that's actually what I'm doing with the Dow daily email, the daily Dow email on the website. Gotcha. I'm taking this and the other Dow quotes that I have and doing a quote and a thought and an affirmation for every day. And then next we'll publish that in a book that we'll finish up probably next, uh, November, December, this November, December. So gotcha. Yeah, um, that makes sense. And so, and, and like I said, for everybody they're they're very, they're very digestible, something that you can go deep and wide with. 
just reading it in your morning meditation or your evening meditation or whatever you do it. Uh, and uh, do you have a, a uh, audio version of this yet? Yes, I have the Audible. The Audible's up. Uh, you can buy the Audible or uh, the digital or the, the paperback, either one. And who does the Audible translation? Is that yourself? I did it. Oh, great. Yeah, so you, you get to hear my Southern draw. <laughs> I think it surprises some folks. I've, I've thought about having it, you know, because I did sober meditations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago. Yeah, uh, I still listen that's to a that. free, Yeah, that's a free app, actually. has over 400 meditations, and I get is that on buddy Is that on BuddyC.org as well? Um, if yes, it's under recovery resources on buddyc.org, okay. but you can find it at, uh, Apple or Google play. Just look for, uh, sober meditations. And there's a picture of the beach on the front. Buddy C, uh, is the author. Uh, but I get four to 5,000 downloads a month from that and that's mm-hmm. free. Uh, so I said, I should just go ahead and do the, the book as well. So I did. Um, and I think it turned out okay. Yeah, I think it, oh yeah, it turned out great. And like I said, I still listen to those sober meditations. Uh, I love them. And you know, really what uh, you end up, I think every meditation by saying, hey, just remember, if you just think about somebody else, do something for somebody else, it all kind of seems to work out. And I'm paraphrasing, but I remember it just kind of rings in your head. You hear it enough and you go, oh yeah, that's the solution. Just get out of my way and do something for somebody else. If I don't know what to do, just find somebody to help and everything else takes care of itself. You know, that's right. That's right. And I know, uh, I know people in my group, uh, Ricky comes to mind and there's several others who have come up to me and say, Hey, I listen to that sober meditations, uh, on a daily basis. Thanks for talking about it with buddy. Last time he was on the podcast. Yeah. It's I'm just, I'm amazing. just so grateful that, uh, uh, and everything I have has been a gift and I, I've just got to share it because I think if I stop sharing my gifts, the gifts would stop coming. That's right. And yeah, I can tell you, whenever I get wrapped around the axle, Buddy C, and I start thinking about me, 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 I, 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 when I, when, gosh, it, it just, it never fails, right? If I start praying for somebody else, if I do something for somebody else, if I just get out of my own way, oh, gosh, it seems to get me back on track. In fact, I've been out of, out of sorts uh, this weekend while we're recording uh, for several different reasons. And during our entire time together here, um, I've not been thinking about all those things that uh, are are a challenge, you know? And so, all right, buddy, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up with page 164 of the big book. It says, abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find, like buddy, and join us, and we shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us, like me and Buddy C, as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, buddy, I really appreciate you coming on today and sharing your experience, strength, and hope. Thanks, my friend. I enjoyed it. If you were impacted by that episode in a positive way, and who would not be, please pause your device and share that episode with a friend or family member. It 
may be just what they need today. Remember, we don't want you sharing your gossip, but we would love for you to share Buddy C's episode. Now on to a little bit of listener feedback. Mel writes in and Mel says, Hi, John. I live in Kentucky. I have been sober for five years now. Life has its ups and downs, but the life I get to live today is far more beautiful and peaceful than I ever believed was possible during my drinking. I had gotten a little stagnant in my recovery and started looking for podcasts to listen to, and I found yours. I have enjoyed all of the speakers I've listened to, and I thought Don Jay was just amazing. It's so easy to make excuses to why we can't do what we should do for our recovery, can't make it to a meeting, or do this or that for whatever re- for whatever made-up reason, yet he, Don Jay, got sober during a time when he wasn't allowed into most meetings and made no excuses. He sat outside the door if he needed to be, if he needed to, so he could just get the recovery he needed. His view of life's hardships is beautiful to me. He doesn't see himself as a victim like so many do today and do today in today's society. He saw those things as building him up for a purpose and God strengthening him. Thank you so much for doing what you do. And thank you to everyone on your show being willing to share their story to help others. Mel. Well, thank you, Mel. I appreciate you writing that in and writing in. And if, and if somebody else is listening out there and you have a comment about any of the speakers and or guests that have been on the podcast in the past, uh, please send that in. I love to hear what comments you have about the various speakers uh, and, uh, and I'm most of the time, most every time I pass along those comments to them. Thank you, Mel. Krista writes in and Krista says, hello again, John. I was driving to work just now and re, re, re listening to the most recent podcast with Matthew M. Feeling so grateful for his podcast, which gives me so much hope and inspiration in my Al-Anon recovery journey. Thank you for the laughter as well, because when you say something funny and you start laughing, I'm laughing too. (laughs) Have a great day. Well, I think you could find varying uh, opinions regarding my uh, uh, laughing and my responses, but thank you so much, Krista. I'm so glad you enjoyed. Betty post in the super secret Facebook group. She says, hello again. I hope everyone is well. And I have learned that I, she's posting to everyone here. Just keep that in mind. And I have learned that I need to be patient and proud of what I have accomplished in a year's time. I have started to read my AA book over again, again, over over again, again, over. Nonetheless, and she says, and been hearing a lot of people doing the four step and I have printed out the worksheets to do this weekend during my Easter break. By the way, just so you all know, we have uh, uh, on the website, we, you know, there are so many worksheets out there uh, and a lot of really, really good ones. And I've used many of them over the years. Um, but if you want some uh, additional step worksheets, go to our website, sto- soberspeak.com. Uh, click on the uh, 
I think it says steps worksheets right at the top of the page. And there are some uh, worksheets for doing the steps there. But anyway, she says, I still listen to the Sober Speak podcast every night at work, and it has helped me to start getting motivated again. And thanks to my higher power for giving me the hope with a big capital H there and strength that I have needed lately. Been feeling kind of down, but got good news that our daughter is now getting engaged. So looking up and looking forward with the help of my higher power and family support. Thank you, John M., for your service and for helping me to see that I need to do this for myself and not to be afraid of other people because it's only me I'm hurting. I wish you all a very happy Easter and God bless you and keep you until then. As you could tell, this has been a while since I've been catching up on posts. She's talking about Easter. That's <laughs> like a month ago or something like that. Anyway, that, ladies and gentlemen, does it for another episode of Les Sober Speak. Uh, keep coming back. It works if you work it. God bless you, everybody. I take this one week at a time. I hope to be back next week. Adios.